Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, in honoring the life and career of Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback Lynn Dawson, some coaches didn't know what they had until it was gone. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., All right, I'm back. I got some papers. They're not as flimsy as the notebook paper I normally use, the legal pad. (laughs) NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you. It's cool. You already know this stuff. Again, congratulations. There's always someone else who does not. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history, so we are here to do three things. You know what they are. Enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Billy Up Sports, the Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. Go to BillyUpSports.com. Click on it. Read the articles. Listen to the shows. We got something for everybody. And you can catch us on our home base of Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. So last week I was off. I was on vacation, even though I did do a show on my birthday that Tuesday. The week before, I believe it was August the 12th, you get the news. If you have your phones or if you're watching uh, any sports show ESPN Fox whatever and you find out that Lynn Dawson has been placed in hospice care you know what that means hospice is pretty much uh for most people that's that's pretty much the last of it so and I still don't know didn't even do any research on exactly what it was uh that was wrong with him all I remember is that even in my studying back in 1991 he was Uh, diagnosed with some form of cancer back in 1991. And that's about it. Other than that, I was like, okay, as soon as I saw that, I'm going to have to do something on this man to honor this man because I I don't know. Uh, You know what I mean? So I I go into my study mode. I'm already in the middle of the Giants uh, preparing for the New York Giants, the 80s New York Giants. If you haven't listened to that one, that was a real fun one for me to do. Um, But I said, okay, Let's go ahead and let's get started. And I was early, and I'm trying to be even earlier on this. And I was prepared. Uh, but the day after I do the show, of course, I record on Tuesdays. Today is Tuesday. Um, and I record on Tuesdays. The show normally drops on Wednesday, all right, Wednesday morning. Well, my birthday was the 23rd. I did that show, knocked it out. I get up the next morning and only to find out that Lynn Dawson has passed away. I would already begun doing the show and I'm like ah I should have just broke protocol and just went in that direction I should have I really should have um but hey we're doing it today and I'm honoring him um and even uh today just you know finding out uh what was it the memorial services announced uh for him 
uh, he's actually going to be laid to rest on September the 16th. So uh, that's, um, you know, I mean, that's a long ways away, but, you know, it's, it's, it's great, uh, you know, that he, the services are actually going to be open to the public, especially if you're in the Kansas City area. My son actually is in school at Spurgeon College playing basketball. He's not the big football fan. I mean, I'm going to ask him, hey, if, if you think you can go by there, you know, you know, just – um, you know, go check it out. This is this man, and this this is the guy that's been laid to rest. And he was a great football player, one of those players you that I was watching. You was watching me watch, you know, some historic uh, things on NFL films. Doing he was the quarterback. This is the man, and this is the broadcaster that I was that I came up listening to. So you know, it was really, really um, that that's a beautiful thing. Um, hate that the man is gone, but he lived a great life apparently. You know, so and at the age of 87, he did pass away. We're honoring him today. And in so doing, I have to start here. So two names, Buddy Parker and the legendary coach, Paul Brown. So we know the legend who is Paul Brown. He led the Cleveland Browns to four consecutive All-American Football Conference championships. Right. And that success continued throughout the 50s as they played in the NFL championship seven of the next eight seasons once they joined the NFL in 1950 including six straight <laughs> six straight championship appearances and they won three NFL titles in that time. In 1952 and 53, the Detroit Lions defeated the Browns for NFL titles. All right, that's part of the three straight that they lost there in the middle. And their head coach was Buddy Parker. The Lions, they had a great head coach and quarterback combo with Parker and the quarterback at the time was Bobby Lane, Hall of Famer. In 1954, the Browns got their revenge against the Lions and the championship, you know, 56 to 10 win. Then after a three win season in 55, the Lions back, bounced back to nine wins the next year in 1956, which would prove to be Buddy Parker's last season with Detroit. Parker bolted for the Steelers, making it simple. I'll go in more depth later. He left behind his all pro quarterback lane. Now, the Lions won the 57 championship against the Browns, returning a 59-14 favor to Paul Brown and his squad. Parker was busy trying to get Pittsburgh right, the Pittsburgh Steelers together. That same year, Hank Stram, he actually was a backfield coach for Notre Dame. Of course, Hank Stram was the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs pretty much throughout the first half of their existence, all right? Starting off as the Dallas, Tex Dallas Texans, right? Before that, Stram was an assistant on the football team for Purdue and was key in the recruiting of Purdue's next great quarterback, which turned out to be Lynn Dawson. According to Tom Dinert of goldenblack.com, Dawson said, and I quote, I went to Purdue University for two reasons. One, it's a great university. And secondly, their offense through the football. So Dawson, he could have actually played for Woody Hayes at Ohio State. They ran the split T. Not very quarterback friendly offense. Okay? They weren't throwing the football. You know, it was going to be run, 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 right? Three yards and a cloud of dust, right? Dawson made the national news in 1954 as a sophomore. He actually threw four touchdown passes and a 28 to 14 upset of Notre Dame uh, who were Number one, they they beat Notre Dame. They were riding a 13-game win streak. Dawson threw for over 3,000 yards in his whole career at Purdue. And it was an all-Big Ten selection in 55 and 56. Now, go back to 1954. The trigger man of the Cleveland offense was Otto Graham. 
Graham told Paul Brown, all right, at the end of this year, I'm done. Nine years, I think I'm ready to move on to the next phase of my life. And they won that 54 championship. And in 55, the next training camp, Paul Brown basically was not feeling the quarterbacks that he had. So what did he do? He gave, at the time, it was very high um, salary for a player, $25,000 for Graham to come back for that one season. And they won the championship again in 55. Then he retired. 56, they dipped to five and seven. Brown was not happy with his QBs, Tom O'Connell, Vito, uh, Vito Pirelli, and George Raderman. Raderman, I believe, if I remember correctly, actually played in the AAFC, at, uh, you know, played against Cleveland at some of those times. And you fast forward to the 57 draft the next year. Brown wanted one of two guys to replace one of these three quarterbacks. And the two guys that he favored were Lynn Dawson out of Purdue and John Brody of Stanford. Brown was an Ohio legend. If you know anything about his history, growing up and uh, being born and raised in Norwalk, Ohio, he coached the Massillian team, Ohio State, uh, before going off the Great Lakes, of course, the Cleveland Browns. Dawson was born in Alliance, Ohio, and grew up in the Ohio, excuse me, a Browns fan, actually. And obviously, that would have been great for him to start off with Paul Brown. That didn't happen. There was no guarantee that Brown would even land either one of those quarterbacks anyway because there was a coin flip between the Browns and Pittsburgh for, I believe it was the fifth pick. So basically, he lost that, <laughs> that, that, that coin flip. But before that happened, he tried to do a little, let's just call it gamesmanship. And he wanted to try to ensure that he was going to get one of those two quarterbacks. So he went to the Purdue head coach at the time. Uh, hopefully I pronounced this guy's name correctly. Head coach Jack Mullenkoff. And he was longtime friends with Paul Brown. Hey, can you do me a favor? And he wanted to get Lynn Dawson to announce that he basically was going to go off to the Canadian Football League, the CFL, instead of going to the NFL. Well, Dawson said, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I read at one place where he said, look, I have enough trouble with speaking English and those guys speak French up there. I'm not doing that. And it's cold. So uh, Pittsburgh wins the coin flip and the 57 draft actually is, regard is regarded as one of the best of all time. You had so many great players, including nine Hall of Famers in this draft. Four were selected in the top eight picks. And if you want to look at them with me, getting my papers, number one pick from Green uh, for Green Bay was Paul Horning out of Notre Dame. The LA Rams, they selected John Arnett out of Southern California. Uh, the 49ers ended up landing John Brody. Green Bay picked again at four. Yeah, they were not great, but they got two staples that would be a part of their dynasty run going throughout the 60s. And that was Ron, uh, well, Ron Kramer who was what well, was a decent uh i, I guess a, he was an end out of michigan was selected number four um not jerry kramer ron kramer but the pittsburgh steelers ended up snatching up lynn dawson and cleveland had to settle basically for perhaps the greatest running back or one of the greatest running backs i believe it's barry sanders but the greatest running back of the time uh, and by the time he retired jim brown they had to settle for jim brown so the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers before Buddy Parker got there was actually a guy by the name of Walt Keeslin. And he stepped down 
because of health problems. I read up on this guy and yeah, he was in bad shape. Um, and I believe he was the coach during the game when Burt Bell, the former NFL commissioner, well, the, the NFL commissioner that he's, he was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. He died at the stadium. <laughs> and that, that probably shook him too. And that only happened, what, a couple years earlier or something like that? And so, yeah, he, he passed away, but he stepped down because of health problems. And so uh, this apparently this took place, him stepping down between the first ex exhibition game and the season opener. So, of course, Buddy Parker, he stepped down as the Lions head coach and took that job. All right. So he inherited one of the top quarterbacks in the entire draft. So but the thing is, you have to remember this. It didn't work out the way one would think. So once Parker got there, he traded two first-round picks to San Francisco for quarterback Earl Morrow. We've heard that name a lot. That dude played a long time, going all the way back to this time. And this brought in his Detroit Lions backup, Jack Kemp, okay? Now, how Parker was to know that he had 16 Pro Bowlers, nine championships, and three MVP trophy guys on his team, he didn't know that. Not to mention a future Pro Football Hall of Famer. Obviously, he did not because in 58, Morrow was traded away to Detroit. And so he wanted to get his old quarterback, which he did, Bobby Lane, two games into the season. The next year in 59, well, not the next year. Well, yeah, the next year in 1959, Dawson was still Lane's backup. Lynn Dawson had only started one game in three years with Pittsburgh by the end of the 59 season. He completed all of six passes in 17 attempts. 96 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. In 1960, he did end up with Paul Brown and the Cleveland Browns. And there, Dawson was back up to Milt Plum, who was selected behind Dawson in the second round of that same 57 draft out of Penn State. The next year in 61, Dawson actually made his only start. Plum was out with a dislocated uh, thumb, that's what it was. And it was against his old team, Pittsburgh. The Browns were actually down 14 to 10 when Paul Brown decided to put Plum in the game late in the second quarter, yanking Dawson out. The Browns went on to win the game 30 to 28. Ultimately, Paul Brown traded away Milt Plum at the end of that season. And seeing that he, he Dawson, wasn't going to be playing for Cleveland anytime soon, he actually asked Paul Brown for a trade. There was no interest. So he asked Paul Brown for his release. He granted it. In 1960, the fourth incarnation of the AFL was born. Okay, AFL owner and Dallas, excuse me, founder and Dallas Texans owner Lamar Hunt has selected Stram as his head coach. At a convention in Pittsburgh, Stram and his old quarterback recruit Dawson, they had lunch where Dawson basically talked to him about how everything was going, which it wasn't great to that point. You know, those first, you know, four years in, in counting were not good. So he clearly wanted a chance for the, uh, you know, to play with the Texans, the Dallas Texans that were starting up. And Stram let him know the only way that he could play with Dallas is if the Browns released him. And at the end of the 61 season, Brown had granted 
Dawson his wish. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. You know, it's real funny how life can go. You think things will happen for you in one phase of your life uh, or just in life or in a certain place, but you have no idea that the real plan goes in a completely different direction. And in the end, things will work out prayerfully. uh, And they may even turn out better than you ever thought that they would. Opportunities open up in different cities uh, or a different job or in or with around or around different people. And I'm a firm believer that there are certain people that come across your life for a reason, both positively and negatively. It's all for your betterment, okay? Paul Brown had access to some of the greatest players in NFL history, but not all of them actually stayed for long. Nobody's perfect. Not all coaches or GMs or owners, they get it right. They don't. They miss on a lot. They cut some of the wrong people. We just had the rosters finalized. Uh, Preseason ended this past weekend, and you got some guys that got cut and some that's going to get traded. They're going to end up in a different squad. And some of these guys are probably going to turn out to be pretty good. Whether they're Hall of Famers or not, we're not going to go that far. But it may be for your good. It may not even be in football that these guys be successful. It may be in coaching. It may be, you know, just away from sports, period. We have no idea. But you have no idea how things are going to turn out until things just happen, okay? Now, you know, like I said, these GMs and coaches, they miss on a lot and they cut some of the wrong guys. But I did a show on the Browns a while back and I had to highlight a number of players that could have extended Paul Brown's dynasty going throughout the 60s at least. Every decision that's made that's bad probably should have done something a little bit different. But for instance, Willie Davis and Henry Jordan, going back to Green Bay, these guys were with the Cleveland Browns. You know, Hall of Fame level guys, at least one of them. Henry Jordan, I can't remember if he's in the Hall of Fame or not. I should. That's on me. But they were definitely players that attributed to Vince Lombardi's Packers of the 60s. Jim Marshall of Minnesota, not a Hall of Famer, but a great, a Minnesota Vikings great. I think he was selected in the fourth round by the Cleveland. And I think that Brown didn't really believe that the guy was going to turn out to be pretty good. And so he ended up sending him packing to Minnesota. And then there's Doug Atkins, a Hall of Fame defensive lineman. And how did he end up off the Browns? Because he burped in a meeting. 
Now, the dude was a guy that loved to drink, and it may be a little bit more than that, but at its base, he belched in a meeting. Pat Summerall told you on camera, on film, that he belched, and Paul Brown cut him and ends up with the Bears, the Chicago Bears. And that's a lot of players that are in the Hall of Fame, but remember this as well. Just because they are great with the franchise they ended up with doesn't necessarily mean they would have done the same on that first squad. That doesn't mean anything. Some players and coaching styles don't mix. And some just don't know what they're doing. Some coaches don't know what they're doing. Pittsburgh head coach, um, I mentioned in the last segment, Walt Kiesling, he's the first one that overlooked Johnny Unitas after Pittsburgh drafted him in the ninth round out of Louisville. I understand the guy wasn't highly recruited. I understand his career wasn't exactly stellar with Louisville. And he was... <clears throat> You know, a guy that didn't look like much, but neither did Tom Brady, did he? But I read in one spot where he told owner Art Rooney that Unitas was dumb and couldn't remember any plays. I don't think he could play in the NFL. Wow. Okay. The crazy thing is that Kiesling is actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Again, nobody's perfect. And yes, Unitas sent a telegram to Paul Brown. Didn't know this. Trying out. Uh, he wanted a tryout with the Cleveland Browns. Brown actually called United. He didn't respond to his telegram. He called him and said, hey, look, try me again next summer because my needs have been met. Remember, Otto Graham came back out of retirement for one final year. This is going back in 1955. That 54 season was wrapped up. And 55, you know, th this is around that time. Well, you know, again, nobody's perfect. The same man that recruited Dawson to Purdue would reunite with his quarterback in Dallas. Now, this is from Arthur Andrew O'Toole with the quarterback now available, Stram, called Paul Brown. All right, and I'm going to quote this. This is Paul Brown talking. We're good friends, Brown advised Stram. I want to make sure that you understand Lenny isn't the same Lenny that you had in college. His arm is not strong. He's not a real student of the game. He doesn't have a good attitude, end quote. Hmm. Stram listened, but this is just me talking. But in the back of his mind, he had plans for Dawson. Okay, he definitely did. Now, during that summer, Lynn, or Leonard, as Stram would call him when he was frustrated with him, Lynn was very rusty. Five years of being a backup and only starting, what, a whole two, three games doesn't exactly keep a quarterback sharp. He's not even on the field much. And I don't even want to talk about reps during practice. Stram had said himself that Lenny looked terrible during that summer and said Dawson, had it been any other coach, he would have been cut. And instead, Lawson, uh, excuse me, Lawson, Dawson was the opening day starter for the Dallas Texans for 1962. The first two seasons, Stram's Texans were 8-6 and six and then 6-8. and eight. And they were quarterbacked by a guy by the name of Cotton Davidson. He was a former Baltimore Colt who backed up Johnny Unitas. And with Dawson's arrival and losing his starting position, he was traded to the Oakland Raiders Okay, in exchange for a first-round pick. Um, that pick turned out to be future Pro Football Hall of Famer Buck Buchanan for the Chiefs. Okay, So it wasn't the first time Davidson lost the starting spot. He was a first-round pick back in 1954 by the Colts, and he only started a game before being shipped off to the Army, and he missed the 55 and 56 seasons. And guess who lost his spot too? Yeah, Johnny Unitas. So, uh, oh well, the move proved to be the right one for Hank Stram. 
Dawson led the Texans to an 11-3 record. The AFL was a passing league. Keep that in mind. But the Texans had the fewest attempts in the league. They ran a, a more of a ball control type offense. So they were, they actually resembled a little more the NFL than the AFL, but they were Stram's offense was very innovative. All right. They started all that. I mean, you see, if you know the history of the Dallas Cowboys and remember how they would do the shotgun, and they weren't the first, I don't believe, but how they had all the movement and and the um you, you have two tight ends going from one side of the field to the other and the shifting and all. Well, Hangstrom had his guys doing that a long time ago, back in the 60s. And their offense, even though they didn't throw the football as much as everybody else in the AFL, despite that, Dawson actually led the AFL with 29 touchdown passes, as well as passing overall. He also finished second in AFL MVP voting, and he was a first-team All-AFL, making the All-Star game. What's more is he led the Texans to the first of three AFL championships, defeating the first time in 62, the two-time defending AFL champion Houston Oilers, 20 to 17, I believe it was in double overtime. Great game. Paul Brown was wrong again. The next year, in 1963, Lamar Hunt, he moved his franchise to Kansas City, a move that had been in the plans for a while and was negotiated in secret. From 63 to 65, those were building years for their next championship runs. Okay, so 63, Dawson did lead the league in, you know, with 26 touchdown passes, but they were sub 500 that year. They were only 5-7-2. And, and not only did that 63 season, um, did that bring in Buck Buchanan, but also brought in another Pro Football Hall of Famer linebacker, Bobby Bell. The next year in 64, Dawson, an AFL All-Star again. He threw 30 touchdowns and only 18 picks. The Chiefs, they finished 7-7. Okay, getting a little bit better, I guess. Several key players, though, that year, they missed a lot of games with injuries. You got starters like E.J. Hollip and safety Johnny Robinson and tight end Fred Arbanis. 65, just like the AAFC slash NFL, remember this, there was a bidding war for draft picks. I had no clue that Hall of Fame running back Gail Sayers was selected by Kansas City in the first round. If you go through a lot of those drafts, they'll show you who they were selected uh, you know, by and obviously who they ultimately chose to play for. So, I mean, <laughs> that right there kind of threw me off. I didn't pay as much attention to that. And Gail Sayers, he definitely would have put, put the, uh, the Chiefs over the top. But he chose to play in Chicago, no problem. But they also got Otis Taylor, okay? Out. If you don't know the story about Otis Taylor, you need to go back to some past old episodes. Go to the uh, the AFL, uh, the, that episode that I did a while back. That was a great story about Otis Taylor and them hiding him. So another weapon that Lynn Dawson could use, great receiver, Hall of Fame receiver, Sayers. Uh, you know, of course, he's, he, he did not show up because he wanted to play in the NFL um, and he would have helped. He would have helped had he been there. Late in the season, they lost their halfback, Mac Lee Hill, not only to a knee injury, but he died from complications from the surgery uh, that marked a second player in three years that the Chiefs had died. They had another think back that died two, two or three years earlier. I believe it was in 61. And both of these guys, I forget the guy's name. I think his first name, they called him Speedy, but... Uh, they're both uh, have jerseys retired as a matter of fact 
the Chiefs would go 7-5-2. They missed the playoffs, but the stage was set for 1966. June 8, 1966, by the way, the NFL and the AFL, they decided to do the merger by the end of the 69 season going into the 1970 season. Of course, you had the Super Bowl. Those are among the, the three big things that happened in 66. There was going to be the first Super Bowl, which it was still called, well, it was called the AFL-NFL Championship game. And then it was the start of Dawson's second career. More on that later. The 66 draft brought in USC running back Mike Garrett, great Trojan, great running back. 11-2-1 in 66. Dawson again, he led them in passing, led the AFL in passing, 26 touchdowns. And I counted 12 AFL All-Stars on that Kansas City team. Now, after a 31-7 beat down the Buffalo Bills, the AFL Championship game, they won that, and that was revenge for an earlier loss. I think it was like the first or second game of the season. They would meet the NFL's Green Bay Packers in, in that uh, in that Green Bay dynasty for the first ever AFL-NFL championship game in the LA, say, uh, the LA Coliseum. Kansas City, you know, they were down 14 to 10 at halftime, but Green Bay, they outscored them 21 to nothing in the second half. I mean, that was a great team, loaded with Hall of Famers on both sides. 35 to 10, and that was it. Dawson had a decent game, 16 to 27. 211 yards he had the touchdown pass i believe it was the chris burford in the first no it wasn't burford uh i think it was one of his running backs caught the touchdown pass but he threw an interception in the second half that got returned all the way down to like the one um you know so that second half was all green bay but the next year in 67 and then of course in 68 they were had records of nine and five and 12 and two back-to-back pro bowl years for dawson of course during those years, the Raiders and the Jets, they were the guys who went to the Super Bowl. Um, the Jets, they won Super Bowl three, the first time that the AFL would defeat the NFL in a championship game. So they got their first their first uh, championship win. And the 69 Chiefs, though, they would look to make it two in a row. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment, bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible, signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Okay, so the 1969 season, this was the toughest year for Lynn Dawson. Uh, I mean, those first five seasons in the NFL, yeah, that was tough. Um, But this, I don't think it was more tougher than this year. Uh, But the ending was very sweet, but it was a tough year. In week two against the Boston Patriots, 
he injured his knee. He ended up missing five games. Thought he might have had a torn knee ligament. And I believe uh, that he was put out, you know, as far as going into surgery. Hopefully I don't have my stories confused. But it turned out that he didn't need the surgery. They decided against it. And they decided to exercise the knee and, and stay off of it. And it worked out. And those five games, thank old Stram, thank God for Jackie Lee and Mike Livingston, the two backup quarterbacks for the Chiefs. And they won all five of those games. That Chiefs defense, that was that was probably the biggest part of that Chiefs team. Not just the offense. The defense was, I think it was bigger. But then the fact that his father passed away in week 10. Um, then he goes against the Jets, has a really big game, 285 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, and they finish up that 69 season, 11-3, and and they were second to the Raiders, who they lost twice to. Of course, uh, <laughs> first-year head coach John Madden, they were 12-1-1. And again, they, they swept Kansas City, but then when it came to the AFC Championship game, they lost that game 17-7. Tough loss for the Raiders. We talked about that before. And they ended up in Super Bowl IV against the Minnesota Vikings. But there was another issue. Dawson was heading into the quarterback meeting. Um, and a few hours uh, later, the NBC, NBC had went national reporting an investigation on sports gambling. And Dawson was pretty much named in it as being someone who was known by the guy that they were going after. No relation. Give you his name in a second. Uh, he wasn't the only player whose name came up. You had two New York Jets, quarterback Joe Namath and his tight end, Pete Lamons, and then L.A. Rams quarterback Carl Sweeten and Bill Munson of the Detroit Lions, who would be, these guys, they were being summoned to testify in Detroit. Why? Again, possible involvement in a sports gambling ring. Now, according to SI.com, that's SportsIllustrated.com's Mark Bechtel, five days before the game, a report broke on the Huntley-Brinkley report that Dawson's name had been found in the address book of Donald Dice Dawson. No relation, okay? He was a Detroit restaurateur under investigation in a federal gambling probe. Not only did it affect Dawson, he, I mean, he actually didn't sleep very well and lost eight pounds in two days. That's crazy. It affected his family as well. And his son could not wait to go to the Super Bowl. And at that point, he didn't even want to go to the game. Uh, just imagine all of the negative attention that someone would be getting. And this is in the 60s. And if this guy's losing eight pounds back then, you know, I wonder what some of these guys be doing now with, with the social media and everything. Just don't have it. But Dawson, he ended up issuing a strong denial, um, conceding that he had only spoken to Dice a couple of times and never about football. Dawson had met the man that they called Dice, Dawson, 10 years earlier during his days with Pittsburgh. And the only contact that Lenny says that he had with the man, especially during, well, particularly during that year, was the two phone calls that Dice Dawson had made during the season, one, when he hurt his knee, and then two, when his father had passed away. And that was it. They had been basic acquaintances and nothing really more. They, they weren't like friends, friends, but, you know, more of acquaintances. 
Uh, Dawson Stram and the Chiefs brass, they held a press conference. They also met with the team as well. There was nothing to it and they were moving on. So, and then in parentheses, you just got to read. Lynn would later be exonerated after an NFL investigation that included a polygraph. So, you know, they tested him. They hooked him up to the machine. When it came down to Super Bowl four, no problem. The Vikings were 13 point favorites over the Chiefs. This team was going to, they were going to redeem the Baltimore Colts for what happened last year. I believe the Baltimore Colts were 15 point favorites. Ah, it was supposed to be a fluke in Super Bowl three. No way the Baltimore Colts were supposed to be uh, losing to the Jets. They were the greatest things in sliced bread in NFL history. All right. They weren't supposed to lose to an AFL team. That was the thought process, NFL, AFL, the comparison. Well, uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> so that the the press, they were wrong again. Stram Dawson and that Kansas City defense, they, they were loaded with Hall of Famers themselves. They poured it on Minnesota 23-7. to uh, And although he only threw 17 passes and completed 12 of them for only 142 yards, but that included a 46-yard touchdown pass to Otis Taylor that put the game away. Yeah, I know it was a catch and run, but Dawson made the play. Um, he was named the MVP in the last NFL-AFL championship game, or AFL-NFL championship game. So jumping on the ref's case uh, over a spot, just some of the, the, the sound bites, if you watch that NFL film's uh, highlight of Super Bowl four, it's just great. You know, oh, you missed your place. You marked it wrong. Oh, oh, you marked it good. You marked it good. And then the 65 toss power trap. Let's see what it looks like. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Hank Strell was doing on the sideline. Yes, he was mic'd up. And he keep matriculating the ball down the field, boys. That was great. They had the perfect guy wired up, man. It was great. Um, and even after the game, Dawson got a call uh, from President Richard Nixon. Uh, and, you know, I say, look, there's nothing to it. You know, it's basically what Nixon told him, probably knew about it anyway. <laughs> but, and that, I mean, I guess in the end, you can see that, that stuff just turned out all right. Uh, Dawson would play six more years, six more seasons after that, making the Pro Bowl for the final time in 1971. Stram was gone after the 74 season, following the 5-9 and nine record. He missed the playoffs, of course. Dawson retired following the 75 season, after 19 years of pro football. He left the Chiefs, all-time leading passer, including virtually every Chiefs passing uh, record, regular season, postseason. You know, of course, Patrick Mahomes, he's probably going to bust that up, but still, he was the one, he's the bar. Lynn Dawson was the bar. AFL's passing leader four times, six AFL All-Star games, all NFL 62 and 66, AFL Player of the Year in 62, seven Pro Bowls, uh, the 69 a, uh, NFL All-Star Game, outstanding, um, the AFL All-Star Game, uh, outstanding offensive player, the 1973 Walter Payton Man of the Year, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1987, but he wasn't done. The first time I actually was introduced to Lynn Dawson, ever seen his face, ever heard his name, was when I was watching NFL, excuse me, HBO's Inside the NFL. Dun, 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 dun. Y'all remember that show? <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It was a simple show. Uh, and they, they talked a little football. It was, at the time, it was Chris Collinsworth and Nick Bonacani. This is like early 90s, you know, and like 91, 92. And, um, and then Harry Callis was doing 
the voiceover, which that guy's voice was on the Campbell Soup commercials and, and highlights, uh, wherever you heard him. And I mean, I mean that, that, that voice, uh, loved Harry Callis doing those NFL highlights. And that's really what got me part of what got me loving football was actually watching this show as well as watching Steve Sable and, and the NFL films on that. So um, it was, like I said, it was those three former players that I didn't even know were former players at the time. And I had no idea, like I said, that Lynn Dawson had played football. This was around that 1990, um, that, that period. So, but how did he get his broadcasting start? Going back 10 years, all right? This is before uh, his, um, before his retirement. Okay, 10 seasons. 1966, Kansas City uh, GM Jack Stedman. He goes to KMBC, which is the, the TV station around there, with an idea. And that idea was an evening sports show that would be hosted by Lynn Dawson with zero experience. And Dawson actually turned out to be really good at it. And he was almost a natural at it. And he ended up being hired as the sports director as well as anchoring a 15-minute sports show that aired six nights per week on KMBC. And he also did four days of radio as well. And at the time, Dawson says he was working for an insurance company in which he took a leave of absence in order to pursue broadcasting. Yeah, <laughs> the longest leave of absence, period. Practice would end around 5.30 some days and he would rush off to be on the six o'clock news. America's game, you know, the Super Bowl, the story of the 1969 Chiefs, yeah, I mean, he, he told that story on that uh on that show on that episode and i mean that that's that's dedication and sometimes he would actually be in his uniform if you ever watch it he's on in, in on the, in his uniform still in his shoulder pads tape around his arm around his hands and he's interviewing players some there's he's got a cameraman there and he's interviewing some of the players right there on the field he says they you know a lot of times he had to feed them some of the answers before the camera went on and he knew the answers uh as well and he kind of primed them that he wasn't doing dirt and wasn't trying to get dirt because he knew all the dirt <laughs> you know where there was some but he was a good uh he was a good fit for what he was doing and after retiring in 1976 dawson had become the sports anchor on kmbc tv in kansas city and he was also the color analyst for Chiefs Radio Network on KCFX Radio for all those Chiefs games. The next year, uh, HBO started inside the NFL. And the next year after that, in 78, Dawson joined at the original host and former, well, I guess he at the time, he was the Buffalo Bills play-by-play -play man, Big Al Meltzer, co-hosting the show. All right, both of them was on the show. By 1980, Dawson was joined, and it was him, joined by Nick Bonacani, the former Dolphins linebacker, and he was also a game analyst for NBC from 77 to 1982. He hosted inside the NFL until 2001, 24 years. That's a long time. And he continued work with KNBC and in the radio, uh, in the radio area as an anchor and analyst throughout the 80s. Dawson retired from the TV station in 2009 and he actually stayed on with the Chiefs Radio Network until 2017. And he was inducted not just into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he was inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2012. He called himself, and it was true, he was the seventh son of a seventh son. 
and the man who said he was really lucky to, to get all the opportunities that he did he was a blessed guy the man who said quarterbacks don't sweat they perspire lenny the cool that's it references let's get to them profootballreference.com profootballhalloffame.com kmbc.com also sportsillustrated.com this mark bechtel article was written august 24th 2022 headlined remembering lynn dawson super bowl champion tv host and one lucky son of a gun nbc news as well hall of fame chiefs quarterback lynn dawson dies at 87 sportscyclopedia.com also article written by john dixon update august 29 2022 memorial services announced for chiefs legend lynn dawson 247sports.com this one by jim wexel written august 24 2022 late great chiefs quarterback lynn dawson wants a steelers first round draft pick also purdue rivals.com or golden black Purdue Golden Boy quarterback Lynn Dawson has passed away. This was written by Tom Dinert, goldenbrack.com associate editor. Also USA Today. This one was put out there by the AP. Chiefs Lynn Dawson to retire after final season in the booth. And also the book, Paul Brown, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of Football's Most Innovative Coach, written by Andrew O'Toole. The Sporting News Complete Super Bowl book, the 1993 edition. We've got three editors, Tom Dinard again, Joe Hopple and Dave Sloan. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports podcast network, bellyupsports.com. Go on it, click on it, read the articles, listen to the shows. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. And you can catch me and all of my friends on our home base of Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and more. Tell all your friends and family about this show or I'll find your house. I'm out. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.